Hey, what's up, family? My name is Aaronson Smith, and welcome to podcast. During this podcast, I preach a message simply entitled, Watch the Throne, encouraging the audience to take our eyes off of our circumstances and to fix them on the throne of God. Listen closely. I hope it blesses you. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for everything you've done, everything you're doing, and everything you're about to do. God, we just ask that no one in this room leaves the same way that they came in. But God, I pray that you would touch us all. I'm yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Um, I just have a question. How many of you out there enjoy shopping online? Just a a quick question. How many of you enjoy shopping online? (laughs) I I, I love to shop online. I I love to shop online. In fact, I think Amazon.com is from God. Amen. (laughs) The only thing I dislike about shopping online is the fact that I have to wait four to seven days to get the thing I just spent money for. Shipping and handling is just not my thing. But a few weeks ago, I ordered some things for school off of Amazon.com. And when you order things offline, of course, you get a tracking number. And that tracking number allows you to track wherever your package is. And so after a few days of ordering my items off of Amazon.com, I called Amazon. I said, hey, Amazon, where is my stuff? They put me on hold. (laughs) Like 10 minutes went by, I was still on hold. An hour went by, I was probably still on hold. But eventually they came back and they said, what is your tracking number? I gave them my tracking number and they said, Mr. Smith, your package is in transit. Meaning it's not at the factory, but it's not at my house. It's not at my destination either. It's simply on the way. It's in transit. And I just feel like a lot of us have been praying for some things. A lot of us have been praying for change. A lot of us have been praying for revival. A lot of us have been praying for breakthrough. A lot of us have been praying for a miracle. And I just want to encourage us all as a body and let you know that those things that you've been praying for, it's in transit. It it, it may not be at the factory and it may not be at the destination, but my friend, it's on the way. But I, I, I just have one issue with that. What do I do now? When I know God has called me to do some things, but I may not have the resources or the connections to do them yet, what do I do now? When I've been praying for my family and, and God said he's going he's gonna to save my family, but my family isn't saved yet, what do I do now? When I know that revival is coming, but revival hasn't come yet, what do I do now? And that leads me to the title of this message, Watch the Throne. Could you just touch your neighbor and shake them, just shake them a little bit and say, neighbor, watch the throne. (laughs) Quickly, if you have your Bibles, could you turn to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, watching the throne. 
When you get it, just say, I got it. Amen. Y'all, y'all some Bible readers. Y'all got that. Y'all got there quick. <laughs> Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, spoke up and he said, here's a boy with five small loaves of bread and two fish. But how far would they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of bread left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Allow me to paint a narrative picture. Uh, basically, you have Jesus, and he is with his disciples. He is with his ministry co-workers. And, and Jesus, actually, he just finished a move of God. He just finished a church service, if you will. He was laying hands on the sick. The sick were recovering. He was laying hands on the blind. The blind were, were recovering. I mean, he had a move of God. And as they left the move of God, Jesus notices that the crowd they just finished ministering to was, were following them. And Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, hey, hey, y'all, we need to feed these 5,000 people. And I can just, I just imagine all of the disciples like, uh, Jesus, look, we, we don't have enough food to feed ourselves. How are we supposed to feed 5,000 people? And I just, that's exactly when Andrew came up and said, um, I have an idea. There's that little boy. He's got two fish and five loaves of bread. And so Andrew goes and, and, and talks this little boy into donating into his ministry. The little boy donates the two fish and five loaves of bread. And the Bible says that Jesus began to pass them out. And the Bible says that everyone had enough. And the Bible also says that there were leftovers. And that's a great story that Jesus fed 5,000 people. But what's the point? I don't know about you, but I read the Bible and I'm like, what's, what's the purpose of this story? What is the principle, God, you're trying to show me in this passage? What, what's the point, God? And I believe that God is teaching us that we ought to never look at the natural, but we ought to look at the supernatural. I believe that God is teaching us that we should never look at our lack. We should never look at what we don't have, but we should look at who provides for us. I believe he's teaching us to not look at our circumstances, but to look at the God who is much bigger than our circumstances. I believe God is teaching us to simply watch the throne. You know, my prayer is that after this service, we would understand that our circumstances, our hardship, the chaos we experience in this world, it's more than hardship. It's more than chaos. But it's an opportunity for God to show up and perform a miracle. 
My prayer is that instead of dwelling on the situation, instead of dwelling on the, the, the situation or the circumstances, we would begin to fix our eyes on the God who can take us out of our situation. We would begin to watch the throne. Understand that our troubles that we go through in this life, the hard times, as I like to say, are sometimes the best times for the church to be the church and to be a light in the midst of darkness and to shake this world up for Jesus. I'm, I'm just trying to help you understand that we need to start to watch the throne. I'm reminded of the early church, the early church in the middle of chaos, in the middle of hard times. They grew every single day. In fact, we know historically that a lot of the early church members, they were crucified upside down. And even when we look at scripture, we know that they were stoned, they were mocked, they were beaten. That they went through real chaos. But understand, the chaos didn't stop them. It only helped them excel. I'm also reminded of the, the Azusa Street Revival, one of, the, one of the hardest times of our nation pure chaos, and yet the church was able to unite, and a revival took place that still impacts us today, all because when chaos hits us, when our circumstances come our way, the church of Jesus Christ, we only grow in the midst of hard times. We never, we never shrink. <laughs> One of my favorite passages of scripture is uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, and Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the world. What does that mean? What does salt do? Salt makes you thirsty. It doesn't matter how you, how, how you eat it through salt water or through like a salty piece of steak. It's going to make you thirsty, and I believe God is telling us that we have the ability to make the world thirst for more of God. Amen. The next passage says, it says that we are the light of the world. What, what does that mean? Well, the darker society gets. The more chaos we have, the greater of an opportunity we have to light a match in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, only if we take our eyes off of the chaos and we focus on how God wants us to respond to the chaos. It's time to get our eyes off of the circumstances and see what God wants us to do in the circumstances. It's time to watch the, the throne. I don't know about you, but I love hearing people talk. I love hearing people's stories, and especially among believers. And what I found is among us, we do a whole lot of murmuring. Murmuring about the chaos we are going through as a nation. Oh, that Donald Trump. Oh, that Barack Obama. Oh, those conservatives. Oh, those liberals. Oh, those Democrats. Oh, those Republicans. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Church, take your eyes off of that. And it's time to make war. I, I wonder what would happen if we took the energy that we, we use and we waste on debating political things and use that to love our neighbor. I wonder what would happen if, if, if we would stop focusing and stop complaining about the situations and, and use that energy to disciple somebody, to invite our neighbor to church. My friend, please get your eyes off of Fox, get your eyes off of CNN, and fix your eyes on the kingdom of God. Because although the world might be dark, 
This is the greatest opportunity to be part of the body of Christ. One of my favorite passages of scripture, again, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The church, were, they were going through a time of persecution. They were going through chaos. They were going through a storm. And the writer of Hebrews, he writes this to the church that's going through chaos. He says, let us run, the, run our race with perseverance. And he says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says to get your eyes off of the situation. Get your eyes off of the circumstances. Even though you're going through chaos, early church, fix your eyes on Jesus. I ask myself, what if, what if Jesus, like in John chapter 6, the story we just got done reading, what if Jesus focused on his situation more than focusing on the 5,000 people who need to have some food? What if Jesus looked at the crowd and said, um, hey, y'all, like, I would love for y'all to not be hungry. But the way my circumstances are set up, I would love to give you some, 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 some bread and some fish. But I just can't right now because, you know, the way my bank account is set up. Have you heard, have you heard that before? Like, I would love to donate to your ministry, but the way my bank account, the way my circumstances are. What if the little boy looked at Andrew and said, hey, um, you know what? I would love to give you know, my two fish and five loaves of bread to your ministry. But look, my mama packed this lunch for me. And this is all I got. (laughs) I'm not giving you my last. But Jesus didn't do that. The little boy didn't do that. They took their eyes off of the situation, off of the circumstances, and they stayed focused on the mission of God. And because the people of God were able to stay focused on the mission of God, not only did they get to experience the miracle they were praying for, but 5,000 other people were able to experience a miracle. And not only that, but Jesus was able to reveal himself to the masses, all because a little boy took his eyes off of his circumstances and looked to the kingdom. I love the story about the little boy. I love it. I love it. I love it. The reason why I love it is because it reminds me, you you don't have to have a lot for God to use you. It it reminds me that God can take the little that you do have and use it to flip this nation upside. I'm trying to tell you. And I love this story because it reminds me of a little boy that I know. I know know a little boy um, similar to the little boy in John chapter 6. He really didn't have the best circumstances. Didn't really have a whole lot of gifts. Product of a single parent. He just had his two fish and five loaves of bread. His two fish and five loaves of bread was the fact that, you know, like I said, product of a single mom. Grew up in a, in a poor neighborhood, a poor town. And not to mention, but he didn't really show a whole lot of, you know, academic success. He was born with a hole in his left eardrum, which caused him to have a hearing loss at a very young age, which eventually led for him to have a speech impediment. I mean, he spent years in speech therapy. Eventually, his teachers told him that he had a learning disability. 
And what's even sad is his teachers told him that, you know, school wasn't for him. College was not his route. The little boy would, would carry a Bible to school. And the teacher said, oh, if you're going to be a preacher, you don't need any type of education. And the fact that they said that, you know, education wasn't his route, that, that might be different. But where this little boy is from, if you're not succeeding in sports, there's no other option. The factories had closed in the area. There were no real options. There were no such things as trade schools. My favorite part. The little boy ended up growing into a young man. And that young man, two and a half years ago, walked across the stage, received his bachelor's in biblical studies. In this May, I will walk the stage and get my master in divinity. And it's 714. I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. From speech therapy to preaching the gospel, I... I say all that to say this. I say all that to say this. Never allow your past to corrupt your future. Don't allow your circumstances to dictate what God wants to do in your life. Because the devil who puts you in your situation is no match for the God who could take you out, church. Mm. I understand we have horrible situations. A lot of us experience all kinds of things in this, in this life. A lot of us have issues. A lot of us have baby mama problems. A lot of us have, like, mama problems. Baby daddy problems, daddy problems. And a lot of us, we don't want to admit it, a lot of us got church problems. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of us have issues with our families. A lot of us have Sally Mae problems, financial problems, debt problems. But, my friend, if you're going through problems, I just want to give you one piece of advice. One piece of advice, and that there is a difference between fact and truth. There's a difference between fact and truth. I, I'm going to try to break it down. There's a difference between fact and truth. Let me try to. Um, fact is, some of us ain't got no money. Like, our money is funny, and our change is strange, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a lot of us, we struggling, you know. But truth says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or see begging for bread. Truth says, I will, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and his gold. You see, there's a difference between fact and truth. Let me come up with another example. Uh, fact is, a lot of us, we, we weren't dealt the best hand in life. A lot of us, we had it rough growing up. That's a fact. But truth says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. There's a difference between fact and truth, church. Uh, fact is, some of us didn't grow up with the best home life. That's a fact. A lot of us grew up with divorced homes. But truth says that my God is a father to the fatherless. He's a mother to the motherless. There's a difference between fact and truth. Over a month ago, I was involved in a horrible car accident. Um, it was a good day. Have you ever been having a good day? And at the end of the day, like things just, I had just finished this wonderful externship. I was doing live. I just had got off the phone with Gabby. Life was good. Like, like I was happy. I went to go get some ch church's chicken. I was happy. And, um, <laughs> I'm driving down a road, 
I'm 100 yards away from my apartment in Virginia Beach. And it's a dark road. And a drunk driver is driving on my side of the road with his lights off. He hits me going about 50 miles per hour. He's in a four-door truck. I'm in a, a Corolla-sized vehicle. I go to the doctor. By the way, I got out of the car, no scratches, nothing. But I, I got out, I went to the hospital, of course, and went through two CAT scans, two separate hospitals, in fact. And the first, first time, everything came back clear. Second time, everybody, everything came back clear, and the doctor was like, you know what? I've seen this happen before, and it didn't work out too well. She said, you know, most times when there's head-on collisions as far as accidents, people either leave the accident with brain injury or they leave not alive. Fact is, I, I should not be here right now. But truth says, a thousand may fall on my right side. Another thousand on my left side, but it won't come near your dwelling. Truth says, no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. See, there's a difference between facts and truth, church. Fact allows us to really focus on our circumstances. But truth reminds us to focus on the God of our circumstances. There's a difference between fact and truth. And I don't know about you, but I just feel like there's, there's some people in here where the devil has tried to take you out. But truth stepped in. There's some of us, you know, we've had bad doctor reports. But truth stepped in. There's some of us, we've been in car accidents, but truth stepped in. And I don't know about you, but we got to remember that somebody didn't wake up this morning. Somebody was driving home and, and they didn't make it in the car accident they got in. But because truth is on our side, no weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper, church. And while we're taking our eyes off of our circumstances, off of our issues... We've got to remind ourselves that we need to really focus on heaven above all else. The Bible says that the grass, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. No, no, there's no trouble that is forever. Everything on this earth is temporary. And we focus on temporary issues. And we forget the big picture. And the big picture that people are dying and going to hell every single day. And so in this tonight, I didn't really want to hype you up. I just wanted to encourage you to have a perspective on heaven, to, to, to think forward, not momentary. So, so we need to fix our eyes on the kingdom of heaven. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Another version says it like this, These troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory that will make all of our troubles seem like nothing. Sometimes the daily troubles we go through on this earth make us forget that the best is really yet to come. Sometimes the, the troubles that we experience forget us that trouble help, makes us forget that trouble won't last always. <laughs> My grandma was singing a song that trouble won't last, trouble won't last always. And she would tell me about the times where she would see the Ku Klux Klan members 
walking up Wabash Avenue. That is a main road in our hometown. She would tell me about how they were treated as second-class citizens. She would tell me how, like, things were pretty, pretty interesting in Indiana when she was coming up. And I said, Momo, how, how'd y'all keep going? And they kept going because they had, they were focused on heaven. They reminded themselves that the, the things they experience on this earth are only temporary. But eternal is everlasting. Because, you know, my God is coming back to make all things new. The Bible says that the old things have passed, and I'm making all things new. No more broken hearts, no more broken homes, no more locking doors, no more cops patrolling, no abusive words, no abusive touches, no more sicknesses that take our loved ones, no, no more hunger kids, no more natural disasters, no child wherever I have to ask where his father or mother is, because my God is coming back to make all things new. Oof. Tell the paralytic he will dance. Tell racism he's going to end. Tell the blind eyes they will see. Because there's hope in God. And God is coming back to make all things new. And so our daily troubles... They're just, they're just going to be a moment. But church, if we would begin to focus on heaven and focus on eternity, I promise our daily, struggle, our daily troubles, they really mean, they don't mean too much. And so church, when I say the best is yet to come, I say that because the best may not be here right now, but my friend, it's on the way. <laughs> 